0: Mind that uh, he does break those chains, and one of those chains may be in our area of finance. I want you to turn your Bibles to an Old Testament passage, Second Chronicles chapter 24. We're going to look there, and that's the old white sticky pages of the Old Testament. Some of us don't look there as much as we should, but I want you to see, and you'll understand what this chest is about when I finish this morning. And we'll be collecting and receiving the Harvest Sunday offering at the end of the service. So while you're turning, the other thing I want to call your attention is that if you haven't made a commitment to the Building on the Rock campaign, that's what we've been talking about for weeks now, you have the opportunity to do that. There should be some cards there for you to make that commitment and so in your pew. And so if you want to make that commitment today, you can still make a commitment the overall goal of what the church is trying to raise over the next three years. If you hadn't understood it, what we're trying to do is to ask you to give over and above what you're currently giving for the next three years in order to erase long term debt and in order to put those funds instead of in the banker's pocket and in the interest that's being paid on the loan to be put into ministry to touch more people for Jesus Christ. So that's the whole goal. And the ultimate goal is to get revival and freedom in our lives in the area of giving. So this week, every family of your congregation got a letter about this Chester Joash that's down here in front of me today. And I congratulate you on being here because you knew you were coming, even though you were gonna be hearing about giving once again. And I want to tell you the story, one of my favorite stories about three boys that were talking about what their daddies did for a living. One of the boys said, bragging about his dad, he said, My dad's real important. He's a songwriter. He writes songs. He just scribbles down a few words on a piece of paper, and he gives it to these folks, and they give him $500 for writing that song. The second kid said he wasn't going to be outdone. He said, Well, my dad's a lawyer. And he writes down some words on a piece of paper, and once he writes all those words on the piece of paper, he turns it in. They call it a brief. And he gets $1,500 every time he writes one of those things. The last little fellow said, well, that's nothing. My dad's a preacher. And so he'll write down a few words on a piece of paper, and he'll get up and speak and preach it. And they six to eight men that have to collect up all the money that comes <laughs> in after he's done it. So today, that's what we're going to talk about, is about giving. We're in the, the, the time of the kings, and we're in this time where we're talking about in this passage about one of the kings, and the king's name was Joash. So I want you to begin looking at verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read them, then I'll unpack what it has to say to us this morning. Now, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Version, in case you're not recognizing these words. It's a different version than maybe you have. Joash was seven years old when he became a king. Now, you think about that. How many of you would turn over a whole nation to a seven-year-old? Raise your hand. I didn't think so. But as a reason that Joash was the king at seven. He reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zeba, who was from Beersheba. Throughout the time of Jeho- Jehoiada, the priest, Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight. Here's the interesting thing. This priest, Jehoiada, uh, Jehoiada Prepared him and kept him and trained him to be the king and the spiritual man that he was. Afterwards, Joash took it to heart to renovate the Lord's temple. So gather the priests and the Levites and said, Go out to the cities of Judah and collect money from all Israel to repair the temple of your God as needed year by year and do it quickly. However, the Levites did not hurry. So the king called Jehoiada the high priest and said, "Why have you required the Levites to bring from Judah and Jerusalem the tax imposed by the Lord's servant Moses and the assembly of Israel for the testimony, uh, for the tent of the testimony? For the sons of that wicked Athaliah broke into the Lord's temple, even used the sacred things of the Lord's temple for the bells. At the king's command, a chest was made." And placed outside the gate of the Lord's temple. Then a proclamation was issued in Judah and Jerusalem that the tax God's servants, Moses imposed on Israel in that wilderness, be brought to the Lord. And all the leaders and all the people rejoiced and brought the tax and put it in the chest until it was full. Whenever the chest was brought by the Levites to the king's overseers, when they saw that there was a large amount of money... The king's secretary emptied the chest, picked it up, and returned it and gathered the money in abundance. Would you join with me as we ask God's blessing on the reading of his word? Father God, thank you for this word that we see today. Thank you, Lord, for the meaning of it and the principle behind it. And Lord, may you help us to understand the urgency of the day, Lord, and the need that we have to be able to give Lord, because you have given us an unlimited supply and abundance. And, Lord, you blessed us in such a way. So, Lord, would you help us to freely, as you've given, and as the songwriter said years ago, freely we've give, you've given and freely we have received. Lord, help us to give back to you in that same way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Joash was the king in the Davidic era. He was one of the kings, Now out of all of the kings, there were some of the kings that were wicked kings, and there were a few kings that were good kings. And so in this day and time, Joash happened to be one of the good guys. His aunt had taken him when his mother became, became ruler of the country, before he became ruler, and had hidden him for seven years. Guess where she hid him? She hid him in the temple, which would be the modern-day church. And this priest, Jehoiada, trained him and equipped him for the work that God had for Joash to do. So we pick up this passage when he's seven years old, and here's the good news. God uses future generations to serve and obey him. And the reality of it is, Joash had been mentored by that high priest. So I want to challenge you, just a sidebar, and think about it, is that what you're doing today is going to impact future generations. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than this church. It's a kingdom work that God has us involved in, and it's going to take all the resources that God has given, which is an unlimited supply for us to be able to do the work that God has called us to do. Then I also want to challenge you to think about who are you mentoring? Who are you training up? Who are you pouring your life into that's going to be that future generation that's going to lead Solid Rock Baptist Church? You know, Pastor Mike's not getting any younger. Did you notice that? 62, right? I'm just one year behind him, but I want to pick at him because he's a little bit older than I am. But there's a future generation that's coming. There are people that are going to need to know the Lord, and we need to be pouring into them. So Joash wanted to be obedient to God, honor God, and God prospered him. And you have an opportunity today to obey God and be a blessing to this church and to future generations by what we're doing here this morning. And the reasons folks aren't giving and aren't being blessed today is because we're not being obedient to God. And many folks aren't being obedient to God in the area of giving. Listen to these statistics. 20% of the people in the church give 80% of the money. 20% give 80%. 30% give the other 20%, and 50% of the people that come to our churches don't give anything. And then we wonder why God's not blessing our lives and why we're not being blessed as God would have us to be. This chest gives us an opportunity to get in on what God's doing, and by doing so it reminds us that we have an obligation and an opportunity to build for the future what God wants to do in this place. So, the first thing I want you to bring to your attention is Joash understood what God wanted him to do. It was very clear to him what he wanted him to do. Look at verse number five again, and you'll notice what it has to say. Excuse me, verse number four, and you'll notice what it has to say in this passage. Joash took it to heart to renovate the Lord's temple. Where did the work of God begin? It began in Joash's heart. And Joash had a heart to give, he had a a heart to do what God wanted him to do, and that's where it needs to start with you and I. What you say, the scripture says, flows out of your heart. So let me explain that to you. Whatever you talk about, that's what's in your heart. If you're talking about golf, that's what's in your heart. If you're talking about food, that's what's in your heart and all the restaurants you like to go out to. If you're talking about work all the time, guess what? That's what's in your heart. Now, I'm going to go to Med a little bit because your preacher just got back from fishing. If you're talking about fishing all the time, that's what's in your heart. But the reality of it is whatever your mouth speaks is coming from your heart. And so whatever your priority is, is that's where your heart is also. The Scripture says that for where your treasure is, there is your heart. So whatever you treasure, some folks treasure their grandkids, and as great as they are, they're important and they're wonderful, but our hearts should belong to God first and foremost. And here today, what I'm asking you to do as the old adage is, put your money where your mouth is. If you really believe that God wants to do a great work in this place, I want to challenge you to do so. So the reality of it is, is if God's not in your heart, then the first step you need to take is to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Make yourself a follower of Jesus and do that today. Because the best thing that was given to you as a Savior who died on the cross for your sins... We celebrate that next Sunday, and so the best decision you could ever make would be to give yourself to Jesus Christ, fully committed unto Him today. So if you're here today, and I noticed on the back of the bulletin that you received when you came in, it clearly said how you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and it used the ABCs, and actually that's how I came to know Christ when I was nine years old. A means that we admit that we're a sinner. B, that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And C, that we confess our sins, tell God how sorry we are, and give our lives to Jesus Christ. Now, Joash understood that the task was, what his task was, and that was to rebuild the temple of God. But the second thing I want you to notice was, not only did Joash understand what his job was, he also knew that the task Was urgent. It was important. It was something that needed to be done. If you'll notice in verse number five, he goes on to say So he gathered the priests and the Levites and said, Now the Levites were the musicians in that day. Go to the cities of Judah and collect money from all Israel to prepare the temple of your God as needed year by year and do it quickly. Do it quickly. It was an urgent task that he had given them. And however, the scripture says to us in verse number five, the Levites did not get in a hurry. They didn't get in a hurry. Now, why didn't they get in a hurry? Why didn't they do what the king told them to do? And again, translate that today to why don't you and I do what King Jesus tells us to do? We say Jesus is Lord of our lives, if he really is Lord. He's Lord of every part of our life. So why don't we do what King Jesus tells us to do? Here's some reasons. First of all, they didn't do it because they perhaps were just like some of us. They were creatures of habit. And they had never been asked to do anything like this before. Now, some of you probably have been sitting back reluctantly through this whole process saying, I ain't never done this before, and so I'm not going to start now. Because you've gotten in a habit. Chances are, if I was here long enough, and I've been here several times, I kind of notice that some of y'all sit in the same place every Sunday. Why do you do that? Pastor Mike probably knows when you're missing because you sit in that same pew every Sunday, and so why would we do it? We're creatures of habit. And you probably, if I knew what kind of vehicle you drove, park in the same place every Sunday if you can get that parking place, don't you? Don't raise your hands. I know it's confession time in just a little bit, but we're creatures of habit. Then the other reason they weren't urgent about it, they didn't get in a hurry, is because they were complacent. They were comfortable right where they were. Some of us get comfortable too. We don't want to do any more than what we're doing. We don't want to give God any more than what we're giving. And we're just comfortable doing what we're doing. And some of us are just eking by and just getting by and not doing any more than just what's absolutely necessary. Now, you probably know somebody on the job, if you're still working, it was that way. Just did what they had to to get by. And God doesn't want us to be complacent. Then there were some that probably in that group of Levites and priests, when they were told by the king to go out and collect that offering, that were compromising. They didn't take the king's order seriously. They didn't carry out his commands. They went out and just tried to make everybody happy and to like them. And see, the reality of it is, is every time that I do one of these capital campaigns, guess what? Churches lose members. Some folks get mad and leave the church. And you know why they get mad and leave the church? Because they're not spiritually mature to receive what God has from His Word, and they go somewhere else where they can be comfortable, complacent, and nobody bugs them, and they can just keep moving on. I know one guy, and I won't tell the prob, tell you who he is, but I've seen him in five different churches, Pastor Mike, and every time I see him in a different church, you know what he tells me? I'm over at this church now because I don't like that preacher, and I'm thinking, there is a common element here. It's you, and you might be the problem. And it may not be that it's that preacher and this preacher and that preacher. It might be that you have the issue and God's trying to get through to you. The last reason that they didn't do what the king told them to do and they were not urgent about it is they were basically controlled by fear and the fear of change. They were gripped by the fear of change. They didn't want to change. And I think I've told you before, the only person that appreciates change is a wet baby. And they'll yell and holler until you change them. And so most of us don't want to change. We like to stay just like it is. But here's the reality. Fear and faith can't live on the same street. I'll say it again in case you didn't hear it. Fear and faith can't live on the same street. Either you got faith or you got fear. And what it tells us, it tells us that a perfect love in the scripture casts out fear. So if you got a perfect love of God, there's no reason to have fear. That means God may be wanting to increase your faith. That's amazing to me that people will go out and they'll hear that their greatest or their favorite concert artist is in town or coming to town, and they'll go camp out outside of a ticket office and wait for days in order to get that. If Apple releases a new product, what do people do? They wait in line for that new cell phone because they want to be one of the first ones to get it. But I didn't see any tents outside the church this morning, and I didn't see where any of y'all had been camping out here waiting to get in to give to God. Think about it. Is it really that urgent what we're doing here? Because every day that you and I are alive, countless souls, 80% of Newton County doesn't know Christ, doesn't attend church. They're slipping into eternity without Jesus. And you and I sit here, if we're not real careful, being complacent. We're happy with the group we got. We're creatures of habit. We're compromising. We want everybody to be happy with us. And we're gripped by fear rather than by faith. And Joash understood that the task was not only something that had to come from the heart. He not only understood it was a task that needed to be urgent. But the last thing I want to call to your attention was he understood that his God had an unlimited supply. And if you'll notice in the scripture, it tells us very clearly the supply that God had and that he had provided. Verse uh, number 8 is where I want to pick up and call to your attention. At the king's command, a chest was made. And it was placed outside the gate of the Lord's temple. Then a proclamation was issued in Judah and Jerusalem that the tax God's servants imposed on Israel. In the, uh, Moses imposed on Israel in the wilderness be brought to the Lord. And all the leaders. How many is All. All. All means all, doesn't it? All the leaders and all the people rejoiced. Now, you know, my wife does taxes for a living, has for the last 27 years. Pastor Mike pointed that out a while ago. I'm sure when she gets in that tax office, she don't see a lot of people come there rejoicing. Yeah, I get to pay tax this year. We don't usually do that. But see, the reality of it is, this was not a tax. This was a gift that they were being given, to, given back to a God who loved them, brought them out of captivity, and, tra- and changed their lives. And they brought it and put it in the chest. And notice it says they put it in that chest until it was filled. And when the chest was brought by the Levites to the king's overseers, they saw that there was a large amount of money. The king's secretary and the high priest deputy came and emptied the chest Picked it up, returned it to his place, and they did this daily and gathered the money in abundance. In other words, the chest wasn't filled one time. The chest was filled every time, and every day they emptied that chest. It was full to abundance. And God was providing because guess what? God has an unlimited supply. Now, why did they have a chest built for the people to bring an offering rather than to collect an offering? Well, because Joash came to the reality that we don't take an offering. We don't take a tithe. We basically give it. We bring a tithe. Because the reason we bring it is because you're more important to God than your money. And so God doesn't want you to send it by somebody. He wants you to bring it, and he wants you to give it. So this morning, in just a few minutes, we're going to have a collection of the harvest offering for the building campaign, the building on the rock campaign. And I want to ask you to get up from your seat and come forward with your family and bring your offering. And we're going to put it in this chest symbolically that we're going to fill it with what God's given us and how he's blessed us and how we want to be a blessing and give and make our commitments unto God. What was Joash's motive for rebuilding that temple? Because he knew and he understood that he was investing in eternity. Friends, what we're doing is an eternal matter. And it requires us to be on the right motive and giving. And all of Israel, the scripture says, gave. Now over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1 and 2... I want to call to your attention one other passage and then I'll close and we'll receive this commitment this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Anybody else turn to other than me? I don't hear anybody. Y'all check me out on this, okay? I'll wait on you. It's 1155. I know some of you are going to beat the Methodist to the, to the uh, restaurant, but you're not going to unless you turn, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse number 1 and verse number 2. Now about the collection for the saints, you should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week, church? Sunday. Some of y'all understand that. Each of you, that means all of you, every one of us, is to set something aside and save to the extent that he prospers so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Concerning the collection, you know what the, the root word of that word collection is? I went to school and learned this, okay? It means to say something. That's what that word collection means. So when you come forward and you place your offering in this chest in a few minutes, you're saying something. You may not be verbally saying something, but you're demonstrating something back to God, a God who loved you that sent His one and only Son to die for you. And they said to do it as each one has prospered. All throughout this process, we hadn't talked about equal gifts. We've been talking about equal sacrifice. Everybody doesn't have the same resources, but everybody can make the same commitment. And then the scripture goes on to tell us God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't love a tearful giver. So I hope you're not coming with tears. Oh my gosh, I've got to do this. Everybody's going to be watching and If I don't go forward, I'm doing it in tears. No, God loves us to be cheerful in our giving. So this morning you get to give to God who loves you, who sent his one only son to die for you. And you get to come forward during the commitment time, during the offering. If you filled out that envelope, have you got one of these envelopes? If you got one of them, hold it up and wave it.